Good to see everyone in the house of the Lord. Pastor Chad's been doing a series on first things first, and it's been outstanding. Last week he preached on first love, and just really what we needed to hear. So he had to be out of town in Minnesota today, so I'm happy to step in for him. And we're going to continue this series on first things first, but we're going to talk about giving today. And I know I'm preaching to the choir somewhat, because some of y'all are the most generous people I've ever met in my life. But it can, it, it can do us all good to go over the subject of giving or generosity so we can thoroughly examine what God has for us in his word on this. It says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. This is the first commandment. Remember, Pastor Chad asked you what time it is? It's <laughs> Mark 12:30. so don't forget that. That's the most important thing, is to put God first, to love God first. That's the first commandment. Matthew 6, 33, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added in, unto you. So put Jesus first. Seek the kingdom first. Seek God first. Seek his righteousness first. First, first things first. Generosity. Always give thanks. Remember to forgive. Never be afraid to give, and you will have found the way to live. I want you to say, say that with me. Always give thanks. Remember to forgive. Never be afraid to give, and you will have found a way to live. That is good. I'd like you to remember that. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish for everlasting life. So we know love gives and lust takes. The devil will get you lusting after things and will make you take. Greed takes. Materialism takes. Lust takes. But love gives. And God so loved the world that he gave. He gave us his everything when he gave us his son, Jesus. The father gave his son. Jesus gave his life willingly as he walked to the cross to die for our sins. We, we serve a generous God, a giving God. He's a God that gives. I'm going to give you four things to think about giving. First thing you need to learn to give is thanks. No matter if you don't have any money at all, you can give thanks. Thank God for everything and in everything. Gratitude produces generosity. Second thing I want you to think about today is forgiveness. Forgive everybody that offends you. Forgive all offenses. Cancel all debts. That's a way to give. You don't have any money to give. You can forgive. You can cancel the debt that they owe you. The third thing is give your money. Include your money, your time, your energy, your talents. God wants all that. And the fourth thing is to give your entire being or yourself to God. So first let's talk about this giving thanks just for a minute. Gratitude's a mother of all virtues. Gratitude. First Thessalonians 5:18, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. So in everything, give thanks in pleasure, give thanks in pain. 
Give thanks on the mountaintop. Give thanks in the valley. Give thanks when things are going your way. Think, give thanks when nothing's going your way. Be grateful. Give, be, give thanks in all things. No matter how poor you may be, you can always give thanks. You say, I don't have anything to put in the offering today. Well, give God thanks. Start right there and give him thanks. Gratitude is the healthiest of all human emotions. The more you express gratitude for what you have, the more likely you will have even more to express gratitude for. Zig Ziglar said that. Ephesians 5, 18, and 20. Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing, making melody in your heart to the Lord. Giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So gratitude is riches and complaint is poverty. You can give without loving, but you can never love without giving. Forgiveness. Number two thing to give is forgiveness. The very essence of the Christian life is about giving. God forgives us or erases our debt so we can forgive others. Forgiveness is canceling a debt owed to you. Matthew 6, 12, we pray in the Lord's Prayer and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Matthew 6, 14, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. That's a powerful statement. What it tells us is to the Christian, to the believer, forgiveness becomes a conditional thing. To the unbeliever, forgiveness is unconditional. All you got to do, you, can, you may have sinned in a million ways, messed up a million times, but all you got to do is ask God to forgive you, and he will. You call on the name of Jesus, you'll be saved and be born again, given a whole new life. But to the believer, God says, I'm only going to keep forgiving you if you for, keep forgiving others. Very conditional. Christian's life is that of continual giving and forgiving. The poor in spirit have no accounts receivable, spiritual accounts receivable. What do I mean by that? That means no one owes you anything anymore. If someone's offended you, what do you think? They owe you an apology. Well, they owe me an apology. The poor in spirit has no spiritual accounts receivable. You've already forgiven everyone. No one owes you an apology anymore. If you've been offended, learn to let it go. Just let it go. Forgiveness. It's a powerful thing. I won't try to read that. I'll just recap it. Peter comes up to Jesus and says, How often shall I forgive my brother that offends me? Seven times. And Jesus says, No, 70 times seven. Or 490 times. Then Jesus said, The kingdom of God is likened to a king who was settling all of his accounts with his servants. And he had one servant that owed him 10,000 talents. That would be on today's market millions, hundreds of millions of dollars, an unpayable debt. So the king was going to throw the guy in prison, but he got down and he begged the king for forgiveness and have mercy on me. So the king just forgave him the entire debt of, of 10,000 talents. Well, the guy walks out of the room and he finds somebody that owes him 100 denarii, which is just a few bucks. And instead of forgiving him like he was forgiven, he grabbed him by the throat and demanded him to pay 
everything, and he couldn't pay, so he threw him in jail. Well, the king heard about this and became furious at him and called the guy back in and says, man, I forgave you everything, this huge debt, and you couldn't forgive this guy, your brother, this small debt. And he, he threw him into prison and said, the Bible says, threw him into the torturers. <laughs> he says, so will your heavenly father do to you if you don't forgive. So there's a, a great a parable in the Bible, a great picture that Jesus paints for us real clear that if we forgive others, God will forgive us. And because we are forgiven, God expects us to forgive others. Because you're forgiven, you need to think about that. It's an amazing thing that God's canceled our debt. It's an amazing thing that he doesn't hold any of that against us anymore. We're not indebted to God anymore because he's forgiven us. So God wants you to approach all human beings the same way and live in constant forgiveness no matter what they've done. Resentment's like drinking poison and then hoping it will kill your enemies. That's a really good quote. T.D. Jake says, we think forgiveness is weakness, but it's not. Absolutely not. It's a very, it takes a very strong person to forgive. And then Mother Teresa said, if you really want to love, we must learn how to forgive. To forgive is set a prisoner free and discover that the prisoner was you. That's a mouthful right there. So we can give God thanks every day, the beginning of the day, all throughout the day, for pleasure, for pain, and sunshine and rain, we give God thanks. Second thing we live with is continually canceling debts. As people offend us, we forgive them. We cancel their debt. They don't owe us an apology. They don't owe us anything. We've already forgiven them. We've dealt with that. And no matter how bad the hurt is, and I'm not minimizing your pain, some of y'all have been offended in great ways. But Jesus forgives you of everything. He expects you to do the same, to forgive everyone of everything. And the third thing we can give is our money. It says, remember the, world, the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said it's more blessed to give than receive. In Proverbs 21, 26, some people are always greedy for more, but the godly love to give. In Deuteronomy 15, 10, God, give generously to the poor, not grudgingly, for the Lord your God will bless you in everything you do. So learn to give. In the New Testament, Jesus talks more about stewardship and finances and management of your life than anything else outside of the love of God. He talked about money so much in the parables of stewardship, finances, and management of your life. And we go to the famous verse in Malachi 3, talks about tithes and offerings. And again, most of the people in this building give tithes and offerings. But it's just good. It, it, it was good for me to go over all this material again. It just reconvicted me, made sure I cleaned up every little part of my life there in the way of giving. This is such a powerful thing because we named the church after this. We, we named the church Return in the concept of returning back to God, returning to what really matters, a personal relationship with Jesus. Well, Malachi 3 starts off, says, Return to me, 
and I will return to you, saith the Lord of hosts. You said, in what, sh sh in what way shall we return? In other words, how do we return to you, God? Look what he says. Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me, but I say, in what manner have, you, have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You're cursed with the curse, for ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this way. King James says, prove me. Try me, prove me, test me, just see. Let me show you what I can do says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour you out for, for you such a blessing, there will not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sake so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground. So he says, you want to return to me? Start paying tithes and offerings. The tenth is what's owed to God. It's always been that way. It was that way before the law was ever established, Abraham gave a tenth to Melchizedek in Genesis before the law. There's a principle of tithing. It's like the principle of gravity. There's a spiritual principle here that God, God owns everything you have. And just to acknowledge that, then you give him a tenth of your increase, a tenth of your salary, a tenth of your income. And as you do, he'll, he says, prove me, try me, test me. See what I'll do for you. If you tithe, I'll open the windows of heaven up and pour you out a blessing, and I'll rebuke the enemy that's coming after you, the devourer. What a promise. What a, what a passage. Jesus taught on tithing in Luke eleven forty two. He was talking to the Pharisees, and he says, Woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and all manner of herbs. In other words, they not only tithe 10% of their income, but if they had a herb garden, herb garden, and they would tithe every little increase, the mint, the rue, the herbs, every little thing they increased, they could give their 10% continually. So they were real proud of their tithing. And, but they passed by justice and the love of God. Jesus said, these you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. In other words, you, you should have tithed. You did good by tithing. That was a good thing. You should have done that. But you shouldn't have left out justice and the love of God. So Jesus confirmed tithing with his own words here in Luke 11. And then like I mentioned in Hebrews 7, it talks about Melchizedek and Abraham giving Melchizedek a tenth of all of his gain. He tithed to Melchizedek. A new covenant Christian's life should not be filled, should be filled with such generosity that he or she will always give more than 10%. We should never be bound to the minimum of giving just what we feel that we have to give God or what we owe God. C.S. Lewis said, I do not believe one can settle how much we ought to give. I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. There's the law of reciprocity. Forgive others, and you'll be forgiven. Give, and you'll receive. Your gift will return in you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. That's New Living Translation. I love that. The amount you give will, be, will determine the amount you get back. 
Galatians 6, 7, Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. The more you give, the more it comes back to you, because God is the greatest giver in the universe, and he won't let you outgive him. Go ahead and try it and see what happens. Randy Alcorn. It's impossible to outgive God. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 8. Remember this. A farm who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and then plenty left over to share with others. So learn to give cheerfully. If you got a bad attitude about giving, keep your money. I promise you. Just keep it. Because it's not going to do you any good to give it. Learn to give when it makes you happy to give. It's more blessed to give than receive. It should be a happy thing every time you give. Every time you help someone. Every time you bend down and, and lend a hand to someone in need. Every time you give your tithes and offerings in the church plate, it should be a cheerful time, a happy time. Give with joy and gratitude. We make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. Winston Churchill. Freely give. One definition of generosity is liberal, generous, open-handed giving. Because we come into the life when little babies come in with their fists clenched. And all of our life, as we take, we're clenching our fists. We grab a hold of and take and get. We get, we take, we lust after. We, and when we die, our hands are open again. So what we need to learn is generosity is open-handed living. We live with open hands. Freely have received, freely give, Matthew 10, 8. Some people are always greedy for more, but the godly love to give, Proverbs 21, 26. You have not lived today until you've done something for someone who can never repay you. That's what generosity really is. The more godly we are, the more generous we become. The more generous we are, the more godly we become. I'll say that again. The more godly we are, the more generous we become. The more generous we are, the more godly we become. Proverbs eleven twenty four: give freely and become more wealthy. Be stingy and lose everything. The generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. I like that. John Wesley said, do all the good you can, by all the means you can, and all the ways you can, and all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as you ever can. That's a famous quote by John Wesley. Matthew 6, 24, no man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one, love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. It's impossible. You can serve one or the other, but you can't serve them both at the same time. Your net worth doesn't determine your self-worth. Now remember, love gives, lust takes. 
Selfishness, greed, materialism, and covetousness are all about lusting, getting, or taking. We should use money and love people. If you love money, you'll use people. There's a sea over in Israel, really on the border of Israel and Jordan, called the Dead Sea. There's no life in the Dead Sea. It's a very deep sea. Water runs into it, but nothing runs out. So it's dead. The Dead Sea is water coming in, nothing flowing out. There's no life in the Dead Sea. Many Christians are like this. They receive from God, but never give it away. So they just become dead. If everything's coming in, nothing going out, you'll be like a dead sea. Extravagant generosity. Luke 21, while Jesus was in the temple, he watched the rich people dropping their gifts in the collection box. Then a poor widow came by and dropped in two small coins. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, the poor widow has given more than all the rest of them, for they gave a tiny portion of their surplus but she, as poor as she is, is given everything she has. So once you realize that God owns it all, there's no gift that is too large if you're willing to obey God. God will ask you many times in your life to give to certain things, to certain places, to certain people, to certain events. And the whole key is just listening to God and being obedient to the Holy Spirit. Sometimes he'll ask you to give more in your tent. Sometimes he'll ask you to do something sacrificial. The key is to listen to the Holy Spirit and obey him. Generosity is the habit of giving freely without expecting anything in return. That's a real key there. Even thanks. Sometimes you help people that are in a really hard way and they want him to tell you thanks. If that hurts your feelings, you did it for the wrong reason. Real generosity doesn't even have to have a thanks. It, it expects nothing back in return. If you don't have any money, give your time. If you don't have any money, you can always give a smile away today. Be generous with your smiles. Be generous with your time. Be generous with your money. There's no exercise better for the heart than reaching down and lifting people up. No exercise better for the heart and reaching down and lifting people up. Generosity. Then there's a the subject of stewardship. Stewardship is dealing with we're managers or stewards of God's stuff that he gives us. So God owns everything. The principle behind it is God owns everything, and I own nothing. That means that's not your boat out in your front yard. That's God's boat. That's God's house you're living in. That's God's car you're driving. That's God's dog you long to you there. Th we, we're so possessive. We think we got all these possessions. We collect stuff and gather stuff, and our houses and closets are full of stuff. And we think this is our stuff. Well, guess what? You, when you die, you, you lose title to everything just like that. It's all gone. So the truth is live generous with open-handed generosity and realize that none of this stuff's really yours. This is God's stuff that he wants you to manage for him. He owns the cattle of a thousand hills. First Chronicles 29:11 says, yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in heaven and in the earth is yours. 
God owns it all. It's all his. He will, he's just seeing how you're going to manage the stuff that he entrusts in your care. There's a parable of the talents. I won't try to read that either. I'll just summarize it. The parable of the talents is like the kingdom of God is like unto a master that went away on a journey. Before he goes on a journey, he goes to his servants, and he gives one of them five talents, one two talents, and one one talent, each according to his own ability, the Bible says. He goes away on his journey for a long time, and the guy with five talents used trading, and he was able to multiply that and turn it into ten talents. The guy with two talents traded his and multiplied it and turned it into four talents. But the guy with one talent was scared of the Lord and didn't know what to do, so he went and just dug a hole in the ground and put it in the earth. So after some time, the king came back, or the master came back, and he called his servants into account. And the guy with five talents says, here, I've turned it into ten. And he says, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Lord. You know, blessed are you. And the guy with two says, I turned yours into four. Oh, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Lord. And the guy with one talent says, well, I was afraid. I knew you were a hard man, reaping where you not sown. And therefore, I just hid it in the ground, and here's your one talent back. And he said, you wicked and lazy servant. Take that one talent from him and give it to the guy with the ten talents. And throw this servant in outer darkness where there be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's a powerful parable. What's he telling us there? He gives us, the talents could be money, possessions, assets, wealth. It could be your abilities, your, your talents, your, what you can do. God's given us all different gifts and callings, given us all different abilities in life. He doesn't expect us all to accomplish the same thing, but he wants you to use your life. It's very important what you do with your life and what he's given you to be a good steward of it and to multiply it and make it grow and make an investment in God's kingdom. Are y'all understanding the meaning of the parable? Okay. The one principle that surrounds everything else is that of stewardship, that we are the managers of everything that God has given us. So we're managing his stuff. You won't be so quick just to go buy something. If you realize it's not your money in your purse you're about to spend, that's God's money. Are you going to spend it in a way that pleases him? Or you just care about pleasing yourself? This principle of stewardship touches every area of our life. Then there's this deal about contentment. It says, Godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world. It's certain we're going to carry nothing out. Having food and raiment or clothing, let us therewith be content. But they that are rich fall into temptation and a snare, and are many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after they've erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. I just don't see how prosperity preachers deal with this subject, this scripture at all. This is telling you not to chase wealth. 
This is telling you to be content with what you have. With, what did he say? Food and clothing. Man, this convicts me when I read this. This spanks me. God's saying, son, you need to be content with what you have. Give, be more generous. Be a good steward of everything I've given you and find contentment in what you have. Giving is more than a responsibility. It's a privilege. More than an act of obedience, it's the evidence of our faith. Can you see how giving runs through the whole Christian life? Everything about a Christian is about giving, forgiving, giving thanks, giving your money, giving your time, your talents, your energy. It's all about giving. Giving is really the key to everything in the Christian life. And Jesus talked about the rich man. He's talked about the rich young ruler. And after he, Jesus said, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and come and follow me, he went away very sorrowful because he had great riches. He wasn't willing to do that. And Jesus saw that he became very sorrowful. He said, how hard is it for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God? For it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. So who's a rich man? 71% of the world's population lives on less than $10 a day. These are new stats. You can Google, you can discover this. Many web pages have that stat on there. 71% of the world's population. So what's the world's population now? Some 7 billion? So 71%, close to 5 billion live on less than $10 a day. Do you make and spend more than $10 a day? If you do, you're in the top 29% of the world. So who's a rich man? We think Bill Gates is a rich man. Well, he might be talking about us. Amen. Who's a rich man? We're, we're so blessed over here in America that if we're not careful, our riches become the thing that keep us away from God. And then there's the fourth thing to give. You give your thanks, you give your forgiveness, you give your money, and then you give yourself. Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what does it profit a man if he gained the whole world and loses his own soul? What does it profit a man to gain the whole world? Well, say if you were the one that won that one and a half billion dollar lottery ticket this last week. Did you read about that where some guy in Florida makes a billion and a half on one lottery ticket? What does it profit a man to win the lottery, gain the whole world, and then you get so wrapped up in the world's way of doing things and the cares of the world and the lust of the flesh and the lust of the pride of life and to lose your relationship with God? I'd rather be poor than Job's turkey and have a relationship with Jesus than I had to be so rich that it makes me fall away from God. Amen. So give yourself to God, your whole being. That's what he really wants. That's when you become a mature disciple, you're finally to the place that you know not even your time belongs to you anymore, that that's God's time, God's possessions, God's clothes. That's not my wife. That's God's wife that he gave me. He trusted me in that relationship. We think of our children as very possessive when it comes to our children. That's our children. 
No, those are God's children that he just loaned them to you to manage for him. Are we going to be stewards of what he's given us to manage? So giving is the whole key to the Christian life. You can't take it with you. You don't own it anyway. I've never seen a hearse, a U-Haul trailer following a hearse to the cemetery. All that stuff you don't take with you. I was thinking about that, all the stuff. I'm thinking, man, maybe I should have an auction while I'm still alive. Because that's what my kids are going to do. They're not going to want all this junk. Yeah, we're just managing God's stuff. That's all it is. Remember, your net worth does not determine your self-worth. Your net worth doesn't determine your self-worth. And then remember to try or prove God, test God at this. He says, when it comes to this matter of tithing, which is giving one-tenth of all of your income, test me and see. Just test me, prove me and see. I'll open up the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing. You won't have room enough to receive it. Then I'll rebuke the devourer for your sake. Rebuke the devil for my sake. Wow. Bless me like that. Makes me want to give my tithes to the Lord. And Brother Chad read this verse to us last week. We remember John 3.16. We started out the sermon with that. For God so loved the world he gave his only begotten son. This is 1 John 3.16. And we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. For if someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Those are strong words. That's NLT. It makes it, softens it up a little bit. But the bottom line is when, when people are in need and you've got the goods to help them and all you do is wave them on their way and say, God bless you, but don't help them, he's challenging you there. How can the love of God be in your heart? Now, we can't help every poor person in the world. The need is too great. But you can obey the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit will tell you who to give to who say no to. You can't just give money to drug addicts. All it does is increase their bad habit. So you have to say no. There's all kind of times you have to say no. But there's a whole lot of times you can say yes. You can go buy them a Kroger card or a bus ticket, a hamburger, go take them to Dollar General. I mean, there's a million different ways to do it. But there's ways to help people. Remember, the best exercise of the heart is to bend down and lift somebody up. And generosity is the habit of giving to those and expecting nothing in return. So what to give? Give God thanks for everything and everything. Gratitude produces generosity. So give God thanks first. Every day I can give him thanks. I may not feel like giving him thanks. My attitude might be wrong. But if I stop and just will start thanking him, guess what happens? My attitude gets right just like that. You can't complain and thank God at the same time. It's impossible. Just try that. Try to have a thought of complaint and a thought of thanking God at the same time. Absolutely impossible. 
So I can thank God. I know I can give him that. And then I can forgive everyone that offends me. I can forgive. I can let it go. Yeah, it hurt bad. Yeah, that person offended me deeply. And it's like, all right, I'm forgiven, but I'm not going to forget it. And I'm going to hold a grudge. You, well, you really haven't reached the place God wants you to reach. God wants you to totally let it go and forgive it. Cancel the debt. Erase it. Can I hear an amen on that? Amen. That hits every one of us where we're living. I need you all to pay attention to that. Because when you stop forgiving, God stops forgiving you. That doesn't mean you're going to die and go to hell. It just means your relationship with God's going to be like a, say if there's a pipe between you and God of communication, and you can hear the voice of God, and he hears your voice. But you stop forgiving people, it starts clogging up the pipe. And now you can't hear God so well, and he, he's not hearing you so well when you pray. And you just keep holding grudges and resentment and bitterness and don't cancel the debt. Your pipe just gets clogged and more clogged and more clogged till you become a bitter, miserable person. But beloved, just release the debt, cancel it, let the offenses go, and it clears out the pipe of communication between you and God. It opens it up where he can hear you and you can hear him. And then give your money. Say, how much? 10%. That's the tithe. That's what we owe God. According to Malachi 3, 10% is a tithe. According to Hebrews 7, when Abraham gave tithes to Melchizedek, that was a tenth a part of his increase is what the Bible says. So it's one-tenth. You find it in the law, but it was given before the law. We're not under the law, so tithing's got nothing to do with the law. It's a principle, just like gravity's a principle. Or aerodynamics is a principle. There's lots of principles we govern, the universe is governed by, and one of them is tithing. So I'm encouraging you all to give one-tenth of everything you make. If you only make 20 bucks this week, you owe God two. That's his. And he says, give me the two and prove me and try me, and I'm going to bless you back. Do I hear an amen on that? All right. I know you all don't want to hear that. I told Brother Chad it'd be better for me to preach that than him to preach this. Because you'd you be thinking he just won't, won't your money. The church does need money, but it doesn't have to have your money. If you've got a bad attitude about it, keep your money. But if you can give cheerfully with, a gra with gratitude and a joyful heart, then you'll be blessed, and the church can be blessed as well. Our, we've paid this banknote from a million eight down to a million two, I think. We've come a long ways with it over the past eight years. Amen. And, amen. and that's because we, we're a given church. And we're going to keep dwindling on that until it's gone. Once it's gone, then we have money to do all kinds of things here at Return we want to do. We're doing a lot at Return the way it is now. God's blessing this church. God's given us great pastors here. And, it, and I love Pastor Chad and the work he's doing. Amen. And then the fourth thing to give is your entire being or yourself to God. Find your life, lose it. Lose your life to find it. Give yourself, take up your cross, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me, Jesus said. 
So you give your whole self to God. Once you do that, you make him the Lord of your life. And he's the king and the master and the owner of you 24-7 every day. So let's say this again. Always give thanks. Remember to forgive. Never be afraid to give. And you will have found the way to live. That's it in a nutshell today. Amen. Let's pray. Amen. Give the Lord a hand clap for the word. Let's stand. We'll be dismissed. If you, I don't, we don't have piano player today, but didn't Sister Shannon and the, yes. and the praise team do a wonderful yes. job? They did all that without a piano. Brother David and Brother Sam, Sister Pam on that flute. They did all that without a piano, without any drums. And it was still the presence of the Lord was here in a mighty way. They, they did a wonderful job. So it's been a glorious day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we love you and we thank you for the worship time we've had and our experience with you. We thank you for visiting us today with your presence. Lord, we camp around your presence. We, we value your presence. We come here expecting to meet you, Lord, and you always show up right on time and meet our needs. We thank you for the word of God we've heard today. Lord, if we're givers, just help reconfirm in our hearts and minds that we're on the right track. If someone's not a giver here today, I pray that you would convict them and change their thinking and make them a giver, Lord, where they'll reach out and help someone in need this week, or they'll give tithes to your storehouse, or they'll give offerings, or all the many different ways that we give. I just pray you'd cause us all to be givers. Everyone in the house, teach us to be givers. And Lord, you said you'd open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing if we wouldn't have room enough to receive it. So you said if we give, and it'll be given. Pressed down, shaken, together, running over, shall men give into your bosom, or our lap would be poured into our lap. So, Lord God, we just believe this and trust you in this and our giving as we give our whole life to you. Our whole life, Jesus, our soul, our body, our spirit, our entire being, we just give it to you. We surrender it all to you in Jesus' name. We lift our hands and surrender as we make a choice, Lord, to make you the Lord of our life once again, as, as you're the king, the master, the owner, the Lord of our life, Adonai. And we thank you for that. And what a beautiful privilege it is to follow you and to be your servant. Lord, I ask you to bless every person here today that's come to your house. They could have gone and done a million different things today, but they chose to come to your house. So I ask you to bless them, Lord God, in Jesus' name. Go with them. Bless their coming and their going. Bless the work of their hands this week as they go out into the work world. Just bless them all. Bring them back to your house at the next appointed time. We pray for our pastors as they're in Minnesota. We just pray your blessings on them. Bless their family. Bless Noah as he goes off to do this internship. Lord God, just be with him in a mighty way. We know you're, you've got a, a mighty calling on that young man. Put your hands on him in a great way. So we just ask your blessing and your anointing in his life. 
and protect our pastors as they drive back home. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.